Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of the podcast. My name is Richard Bryant, and I am your host. It's May 21st, 2020. This is the Corona Chronicles, Day 70. Here is today's top story. The UK appoints commissioner for cultural recovery and sets entertainment working group. This article comes from Variety.com and was presented by Tim Dans. The UK government has appointed Neil Mendoza as commissioner for cultural recovery to advise on how sectors such as theater, galleries, and entertainment venues can recover from the coronavirus pandemic. Provost of Oriel College, Oxford, and chair of the Landmark Trust, Mendoza was appointed to the role by Cultural Secretary Oliver Dowden. The DCMS said he will garner ideas for renewal with a focus on arts and culture. The DCMS said his role will also be to ensure funding bodies such as Arts Council England. National Lottery Heritage Fund and Historic England work with DCMS to develop and deliver support to the sector. Meanwhile, the DCMS has also set up an entertainment and events working group to advise on the reopening of cultural venues across the UK. Working with organizations such as Society of London Theatre, the UK Theatre and Arts Council England, the working group will include representatives from regional and London-based theatres, performing arts, and other creative organizations as well as medical advisors. They will include the Royal Albert Hall, Birmingham Royal Ballet, the Really Useful Group, One Dance UK, Cadogan Hall, the Association of British Orchestras, NIMAX, the Leeds Playhouse, and the Royal Opera House. It will focus on considering how to begin rehearsing and producing theater, music, film, and dance. The group will also consider the potential implications of a return to work for both disabled artists and audiences and the work of suppliers in the sector. Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden said, Neil's appointment as Commissioner for Culture, Recovery, and Renewal and the creation of a new task force is all part of the government's commitment to help get the cultural and creative sectors back up and running. Staying with our friends in Europe, from our friends at What's On Stage, the National Theatre warns of a substantial level of staff redundancy without further government support. The venue has said it may have to reduce staff costs by 20 to 30 percent. The National Theatre's two chief executives, Rufus Norris and Lisa Berger, have issued a joint statement regarding the venue staffing costs and its future. According to the central London venue, unless there is additional support from the government, it will have to reduce its staff costs by 20 to 30 percent. No conclusions have yet been reached, with the theatre currently going through the process of modeling redundancies. Philip Childs, the head of the Broadcasting Entertainment Communications and Theatre Union, said in response that, This is devastating news for all staff at the National Theatre and the wider theatre industry and advised that the National should wait for the government to provide clarity on how the Corvinus Job Retention Scheme will continue to operate to stop employers taking such serious decisions. It then called on the government to step up and urgently provide an effective recovery plan. The Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, said this week that he would be providing further information regarding the future of the CJRS by the end of the month. You can obviously donate to the National Theatre Company while it faces the devastating impact of COVID-19. And you can also enjoy their performances that are being broadcast live on YouTube. 
Here is the statement in full from their directors. The National Theater has been closed since March. Social distancing measures to control coronavirus set to be in place for months to come, which make performing to large audiences impossible. As a result, over 75% of our income is currently cut off, and we expect the financial impact of coronavirus to extend into next year and beyond. Having undertaken extensive financial modeling, we have sadly reached the conclusion that there will need to be substantial level of staff redundancy at the National Theater. Our half over half our annual expenditure is on people, and while in the short term we have used our limited cash reserves and support from the UK government's job retention screen, a significant financial gap remains. We are calling for additional urgent government support for the theatre sector, including the NT to mitigate the loss of vital talent and infrastructure. However, we must also plan proactively ourselves to protect the future of the National Theatre as an organization and a major creative employer. It's our duty to ensure the National Theatre remains a vital part of the UK's lifeblood for many years to come. At this stage, we are not able to say how many roles will be affected, but we will continue to communicate with all our staff and consult with our unions as the picture becomes clearer. We appreciate this as an incredibly difficult time for everyone, and it is hard to express how devastated we are to be having to plan to lose some of our brilliant workforce. The National Theatre has, from its very first days, been an organization which has been driven by the extraordinary creativity and commitment the people who work here. Signed, Rufus Norris and Lisa Berger, Joint Chief Executives. And finally, an open letter has been released calling for freelance support to be extended in line with job retention scheme. This letter has been signed by dozens of major arts organizations. Again, this story comes from our friends at whatsonstage.com. An open letter has been sent out by a wide array of arts organizations, highlighting the plight of freelancers during the ongoing pandemic. 70% of those in the theater industry are either freelance or self-employed. The letter calls upon the self-employment income support scheme to be extended in line with furloughing measures to help these individuals while social distancing and lockdowns continue. Furthermore, the letter asks for a national task force of self-employed theater and performance makers to be set up to allow for further campaigning and strengthen the influence of the self-employed theater and performance community. Earlier today, producer Sonia Friedman warned that 70% of theater companies will be out of business by the end of the year if there isn't further help for the sector. If you wish to read the entire letter in full, please visit whatsonstage.com and look for the article that states, Open Letter Released Calling for Freelance Support to be Extended in Line with Job Retention Scheme." Page 2. From TheGuardian.com, British theater on brink of total collapse, says top producer. Sonia Friedman calls for rescue package to save more than 1,000 theaters from permanent closure. British theater is on the brink of total collapse, according to one of the industry's most successful producers, who has called for an urgent government rescue package to prevent more than 1,000 theaters from permanently closing. Sonia Friedman the producer behind West End hits such as The Book of Mormon and Harry Potter and the Cursed Child made the prediction in an article for The Telegraph, in which she said the performing art faces the real possibility of complete obliteration without substantial government support. Without an urgent government rescue package, 70% of our performing arts companies will be out of business before the end of this year, she wrote. More than a thousand theaters around the country will be insolvent and might shut down for good. The producer said the loss would be irrevocable 
and said that without intervention, the country would watch as over the next six months, our arts and cultural organizations will have to spend their reserves until there is nothing left. She added that many will have no alternative but to enter administration. Friedman is the latest artist figure to call for more support from the government as theaters begin to make redundancies and enter into administration. On Wednesday, Edinburgh's Royal Lyceum Theater announced it was going into hibernation, with staff being notified their jobs were at risk. The theater's artistic director, David Grieg, said that he had the stark choice of either a redundancy process now to reduce our expenditure or total closure before Christmas. Elysium's announcement followed the Newfield, Southampton, and Southport theaters, which both entered into administration because of the impact of COVID-19, while the Royal and Durngate in Northampton, Shakespeare's Globe, and the National Theatre in London warned they would not survive without support. Friedman warned that the problems for theaters will not stop once lockdown measures are lifted around the country because theater is incompatible with social distancing. She said that as well as the practicalities of creating theater with actors operating at a distance of two meters from each other, theaters could not implement social distancing measures by reducing capacity and make enough income to cover running costs. She said, most theaters need to sell 60% of seats just to survive. The shortfall is not sustainable. If you want theaters to reopen, they will. For a time, until another solution is found, still need financial support. Friedman said her company has shut down and suspended more than 18 productions around the world over the past 10 weeks, and estimates the shutdown has resulted in £330 million of income lost for the theater sector. Once gone, British theater is lost for good, she wrote. An ecosystem as intricate and involved as ours, shaped over 70 years, is beyond price. It cannot be rebuilt from scratch. As of now, without support, it is in grave danger. Also from our friends in the UK, from BBC News, this report from arts correspondent Rebecca Jones of BBC News. Alan Ackbourne, streaming just isn't theater. Sir Alan Ackbourne, the award-winning playwright, says streaming shows during lockdown just isn't theater. You watch a stream play and you might as well be watching television, he adds. Although everyone tries to make it feel like theater, and some people, they watch it on Zoom together, it's not the same. Many theater companies have turned to streaming past productions as theaters remain closed due to the coronavirus. Among the most successful has been the National Theater's Frankenstein, starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller, which attracted nearly three and a half million views over its week-long run. But as Sir Alan, known for plays such as The Norman Conquest, a chorus of disapproval and bedroom farce, is not a fan of watching productions on a screen. While he thinks it reminds people who like the theater that it is still an enjoyable process for anyone coming new to theater through streaming, he fears what is special is lost. The theater, in the end, essentially has to be live. It has to be a moment when I always say to an audience who come on a specific night, this performance is purely for you. The excitement and spontaneity of live theater is like nothing else. Sir Alan was due to start rehearsals for his new play, Truth Will Out, at the Stephen Joseph Theater in Scarborough, North Yorkshire, this week. But the coronavirus crisis put paid to that, but the theater closed since March. Lockdown, however, triggered another plan. Sir Alan, who worked as a radio drama producer for the BBC in Leeds between 1965 and 1970, decided to create and produce a new work, Anno Domino, which will be his 84th play. I dug this play off the shelf, he says, and it looked recordable. It looked radio-friendly. There wasn't too much visual action. 
there were no vicars running around with no trousers on. The play is about the breakdown of a long-established marriage and the domino effect that has on friends and family. But once he had decided on the play, he had to cast it. With social distancing, his options were limited. So Sir Alan himself also stars in Anno Domino, marking his return to acting after nearly 60 years. If that wasn't enough, it is also the first time he has directed and performed one of his own plays. And then he teamed up with his wife, the actress Heather Stone, to record the show at their home in Scarborough during lockdown. They even provided their own sound effects. It was a labor of love, he observes. The show will be available as an audio recording on the Stephen Joseph Theater's website from May 25th to June 25th. It will be free, although it is hoped that those who listen will make a donation. Given his antipathy towards streaming, Sir Alan is keen to stress, don't be fooled that Heather and me mucking about in our sitting room is live theater. It's a radio play. But he does want to show the raise money because the COVID-19 lockdown has been particularly damaging for live performing arts. The whole point of us really is getting people together in the same room. And of course, viruses don't like same rooms, he adds. It'll be a very slow recovery. I think people are going to be understandably very nervous before they come out of their homes. And certainly the theater audience is going to step back into the firing line because they are going to sit next to each other row after row. But after such a long and distinguished career, Sir Alan is ultimately optimistic. He thinks theater will pick itself up again. It always does, eventually, but it might start again from the back of a cart. Maybe the big theaters will no longer be viable, and when live theater does return, Sir Alan will be ready. I'll probably write a lockdown play next year, he says, when we're emerging from it. Page 3. From our friends at Playbill.com, Playbill will live stream the seminal LGBTQIA plus plays every Friday night for Pride Month this upcoming June. This article was presented by Ruthie Fierberg. In celebration of Pride, Playbill and Pride Plays will present four live stream readings of plays by and about the LGBTQIA plus community at 7 p.m. every Friday in June in support of Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Produced by Doug Nevin and Michael Yuri, with festival direction by Nick Mayo, Pride Place is also presented in partnership with Rattlestick Playwrights Theatre. Pride Place will stream readings directly on Playbill.com, beginning June 5th with Brave Smiles, another lesbian tragedy by the Five Lesbian Brothers, directed by Lee Silverman. Presented at last year's festival, the joyous and raucous Brave Smiles is considered one of the brothers' most essential works. On June 12th, we present Donja R. Loves 1 in 2, a portrait of what it means to be black and queer in America today. The play was rapturously received at the new group earlier this season, and we are honored to bring this work to our audiences in June, says Mayo. June 19th, we'll see Masculinity Max by M.J. Kaufman take the stage. Directed by Will Davis, the play stands as a mesmerizing and life-affirming new work from a powerful playwright. Kaufman's Eat and You Belong With Us played at the 2019 festival, and audiences were wowed by the wit and heart of their writing, says Nevin. M.J. Kaufman is one of the most exciting playwrights working today. The play honors groundbreaking playwright Mart Crowley, who passed away in March of this year after winning a Tony Award for Best Revival of a Play for his The Boys in the Band. Pride Plays is honored to present 
His Men from the Boys, June 26. Produced with Aaron Glick, the drama will be directed by Zachary Quinto, who played Harold in the Tony Award-winning revival. With The Boys in the Band, the late, great Matt Crowley wrote the original Pride play. Those boys changed the lives of so many, and we always wondered what happened to them as they became men, says Yuri. Men from the Boys is the answer to that question as we revisit those characters here. Casting for each of the four plays has not yet been announced. Each presentation will be hosted by a pillar of the community who will introduce the play and share their own stories before the curtain rises. The festival will cap off with Playbill's Pride Spectacular, a musical celebration of pride, hosted by Yuri on June 28th. In addition to the four readings and a concert throughout the entire month of June, Pride Plays will continue to develop new works through virtual readings, though not presented to the public. The goal since we first got together to produce Pride Plays last year was to expand representation of the entire LGBTQIA community in the theater, says Mayo. That means creating more opportunities for emergency emerging writers as well as directors and performers. We want to offer emerging writers the opportunity to work with top flight directors to fine-tune new stories about the LGBTQIA experience. Nevin explains, while we are sorry that we can't get all we can't all get in the same room, Zoom is a wonderful means of community gathering. We look forward to the ideas and sparks of humanity that we know will emerge in the coming weeks. While the four main stage plays represent writers who helped lay the groundwork for queer theater and writers who will be leaders of the next generation, as Yuri says, the festival as a whole is committed to the continued nurturing of more stories by a breadth of artists in the community. When it comes to LGBTQIA plus theater makers, we have an embarrassment of riches, and with Pride Plays 2020, we are once again scratching the surface. The 11 plays that make up the festival of developing works come from playwrights from all across the rainbow. No two plays or playwrights are alike. The following plays will be part of the full Pride Plays Festival 2020, June 1st through the 3rd. Everything Beautiful Happens at Night by Ted Mallower. Just Pray Save by Rodney Hicks. Good Time Charlie by Ryan J. Haddad. Crooked Parts by Azure D. Osborne Lee. Roof by Omar Hantash. Are You There, Truman? by Garrett David Kim. Mark Green at Birth. Mark Female at Birth by Sophie Sagan Gutierrez. You Have to Promise by Audrey Lang. Modern Gentleman by Preston Max Allen. Will You Hold My Hair Back by Carmen Labou. And For Lenora or Companions by Haley St. James. And finally, the new group's Why We Do It, a conversation with scenic designer Derek McLean. This story comes from our friends at Stage Directions. New York City's The New Group has begun hosting Why We Do It livestream creative conversations with a variety of theater artists. This past May 20th, they hosted a conversation with Tony and Emmy Award-winning scenic designer Derek McLean, who has designed a wide variety of productions for The New Group. You can watch the replay of the conversation on YouTube or from the Stage Directions website. Please join The New Group each Wednesday on YouTube Live and Facebook Live for these conversations moderated by founding artistic director Scott Elliott. These are archived for later playback. I have designed a total of 42 shows at the new group, 34 of them with director, director Scott Elliott, explains Derek McLean. I've had many artistic homes, but none sturdier and more sheltering than this one. Some of the sets have been very simple, some very ambitious. 
Some shows have turned out brilliantly. Others were, um, let's say, controversial. But all of them have been rewarding to work on, and I count myself as so very fortunate to have this place to come back to again and again. For further information from the new group, visit thenewgroup.org slash why we do it. Again, that's thenewgroup.org why we do it. Page four. Our last two stories come from our friends at USITT. Their friends at Wenger and J.R. Clancy are hosting two free webinars next Wednesday, as well as several others during the month of June that they encourage their members to take part in if time allows. Next week's topics include understanding acoustic problems and solutions and designing performance spaces with safety in mind. You can learn more by visiting the wengercorp.com's website or by checking out USITT's Facebook page. And finally, for today's feature in their series of posts from designers whose productions were canceled or postponed due to the global COVID-19 pandemic, they have the designs of Kiana L. Vincenti, a student at the University of Maryland's School of Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies. Kiana was the costume designer for the school's production of She Kills Monsters. Here is Kiana's description of her designs. Our design was not the traditional She Kills Monsters. We wanted to examine what it meant to find the magic, not just within the game, but within yourself. We were going to explore this through light-up costume elements such as orcus horns and tooth-embroidered harnesses for Lilith. We wanted to show that D&D is not just medieval and mystic, but it can be tribal, barbarian-like, or even futuristic. This was all in contrast to the true-to-period 90s world of Athens. To view her work, please visit USITT's Facebook page, as well as many of their other social media platforms. As I conclude tonight's podcast, I want to once again extend my gratitude to the members of our armed services, to our healthcare workers, our nurses and doctors, our first responders, our police, fire, and emergency service officers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please join me in continuing to support these women and men as they face this near impossible task of saving lives in the face of such great adversity. Please support your local food banks and shelters. If possible, donate blood at one of your local Red Crosses. Be sure to check in on the elderly and support those who have special needs. Reach out to a friend and help not only make their day, but also improve your own. Please continue to support your small and local businesses as well. Be sure to continue to practice good hygiene, the wearing of personal protective equipment, and social distancing. Tonight, I'd like to leave you with a quote from George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre is a retired Canadian professional mixed martial artist. He is widely regarded as one of the greatest fighters in mixed martial arts history. He is a two-division champion in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, having won titles in the welterweight and middleweight divisions. He said, Greatness lies within you. Under adversity, some break records, while others simply break. But the truth is, we all have it in us to be great, and our destiny shouldn't be left up to fate. So rather than wait, I say forge ahead and create a future you dictate, and then stick two fingers up to fate. My name is Richard Bryant, and I have been your host. It's May 21st, 2020. This has been the Corona Chronicles.
day 70. Take care, be well, and good night. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions on how to make this podcast better, please send them to archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's archivett24 at yahoo.com.